Welcome to this podcast from the Lung Cancer Sessions on VJ Oncology. In this episode, we hear from Lisa Hendricks of Maastricht University and Tiziana Vavala of the University of Turin as they discuss key updates from the IASLC World Congress on Lung Cancer in Vienna, Austria. Uh, hello, welcome from WCLC 2022 in Vienna. Um, I'm Lisa Hendricks, I'm a pulmonologist from Maastricht, the Netherlands, and I'm joined by Tiziana Favala, medical oncologist from Italy. Um, it's only the second day of the WCLC, but we have already heard some quite interesting uh, topics we're going to discuss. Uh, so we want to discuss uh, the Nadine data, the update, uh, several KBLAS G12C data, and also the concept of oligometastatic disease. So yeah, thank you for listening. So Tiziana, the Nadim trial, um, can you tell me what's, yeah, yeah. what's interesting? Uh, mm-hmm. This day is a great, was a great day to discuss about um, what do you want, what do we want about um, neoadjuvant treatment, particularly um, for those patients who do not respond to treatment in a neoadjuvant setting, because today uh, we know that uh, some more than 15% of patients do not respond to uh, neoadjuvant treatment and um, the idea to have an immunosignature about their progression could be useful for us for two reasons, uh, particularly how to choose adjuvant treatment those kind of patients if they don't go to uh, uh, surgical resections uh, or uh, how can we use uh, RT on mediastinum particularly for those patients uh, who can um, have a a, a surgical uh, resection considering that Langard trial um, suggests a a non-extensive use of RT on mediastinum. So uh, this has been an interesting session, I think. I think it's also a challenge. So we know that that those with a pathological complete response on on neoadjuvant chemoimmuno do very well. Those with a major pathological response a little bit less, but some do very well. uh, And usually those without a response yeah, do progress quite rapidly, but it would be very helpful to indeed have a signature that can stratify these patients uh, and also identify the resistance mechanisms so that you can develop uh, new treatments. And I think Nadim was a small sample size, uh, I think only 36 patients analyzed, uh, but at least some immune findings yeah, were there uh, suggesting yeah, how to look further. Uh, so for example, AKT, uh, yeah, seems very promising to yeah to, to yeah. target, and mm-hmm. uh, particularly we have to think also that um, also um, for non-responders mm-hmm. patients, mm-hmm. Uh, PFS is longer is mm-hmm. good. Yeah. So we need to think also how to improve uh, also in non-responders patients uh, this kind of treatment after uh, a local treatment. Fully agree, and indeed avoid toxicity. So yeah. you are already talking about lung art. Yeah, I think local relapses yeah, really decrease, but high risk of cardiotoxicity. We know radiotherapy uh, acts synergistically with immunotherapy, so it could be with new radiotherapy techniques that yeah. Yeah, these patients would get benefit uh, without the toxicity. So it's something really to 
explore and hopefully to be informed with yeah, signatures that can select patients. Yes, it's just like an, a, a new kind of way to uh, to, to see uh, known well-known things because uh, new techniques uh, about radiotherapy can um, lead us to improve uh, results about immunotherapy in this kind of patients. We have to wait and research about it. True, and in the end we need randomized clinical trials <laughs> probably, but I think it's, it's, it's very hypothesis generating to, to hear these data. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I think we also had interesting data about KRAS G12C, uh, so a Europe 1 approved uh, small molecule, Sotoracib, uh, based on phase 2 data, uh, FDA Adarasib breakthrough designation. Uh, I think response rates quite similar to Sotoracib, toxicity profile a little bit different, uh, but in the end we need to improve. We don't see the response rates we see, for example, with EGFR and ALT-TKI, yeah. and we also don't see the, the median PFS, the duration of response. Uh, so I think probably we need either new small molecules or combination treatments. And, and what were your takeaways from that session? I think that KRAS biomarker, I don't know if you have the same uh, thinking about this, is an incredible biomarker because it, it's completely different from uh, GFR, ARC. Um, I think is really challenging research about this kind of biomarker because uh, we have uh, um, a small molecule that works, but with over-response rate, as you said, not so great, but uh, we can decide to associate this small molecule with new molecule, mm -hmm. SHP is, is mm -hmm. one of these, uh, or with immunotherapy, uh, and so different things such as uh, responses, but also great toxicities that lead to um, different kind uh, of approach, such as not concurrent, but mm -hmm. leading approaches mm -hmm. with immunotherapy or, or um, uh, um, reductions of those because of uh, increasing toxicity. Uh, we are learning uh, about this biomarker still. Yeah. And I think if we, we look back at what we know from, from EGFR and ALT-TKI uh, combined with immunotherapy in general, it was quite toxic, so interstitial lung disease, hepatitis, um, also, there are some uh, real-world Sotoracep data. If you give it after immunotherapy, the incidence of hepatitis is quite high. So I was, I think, quite interested in the data, uh, the phase one data with Sotoracep and either pembrolizumab or atezolizumab. And they, they try different combinations, different doses lead in. And I think my takeaway was that it's still difficult to combine. Uh, I think the, the hepatitis was still quite a problem. It seems that the most feasible approach is a, a low dose Sotoracep lead in and then immunotherapy. Uh, but still then it's, it's challenging and it's, it's phase one. Um, yeah. So I would really like to see more data about toxicity, but also responses and duration of response because around two thirds of patients got previous immunotherapy and around 40% had, had uh, the last line uh, of previous treatment was immunotherapy. So you're not quite sure if you look at responses, uh, PFS, these type of things, what was the role of the combination uh, or what was the role of the immunotherapy, monotherapy in treatment naive patients or the re-challenge. Um, so I think preclinically very interesting, uh, for clinical practice still quite challenging for me, the immunotherapy. And for me the idea is that we really don't know if this uh, toxicity 
could be maybe uh, a drug related mm -hmm. toxicity uh, if dagrasib which is mm -hmm. going to mm -hmm. be the next uh, drug in um, uh, kras mutated patients could have a well tolerated mm -hmm. profile so yeah. we have to wait and yeah. um, about and, and search about particularly these phase one trials I think also the, the, the SHIP2 data were interesting. So Sotorasib combined with a, a new SHIP2 inhibitor. Um, but I think it's, it's still phase one. Uh, so the toxicity profile yeah, is, is less favorable than with monotherapy. I think the response rates were at least higher than with monotherapy. Uh, but I think you don't really know whether this, this would be the way to go forward for all patients, whether you would have a biomarker selection and whether in the end it's phase one, if the response rates uh, will be the same in, in uh, yeah, bigger trials with more patients. Yeah. But I think it's, it's, it's an interesting combination again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then uh, we have to think to sequencing yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> this kind of patients because uh, we have to decide if uh, um, one drug uh, associations uh, or immunotherapy before or after uh, or new drugs uh, could be the, the best choice mm -hmm. for our yeah. patients. I still don't know this. I think there were also um, data uh, about new KRAS G12C mm -hmm. inhibitors, so the GDC compound. I think, again, early phase and you cannot compare yeah. clinical trials with each other, but if you look at, at the highest dose level, yeah, the majority of the patients had a response. So I think it, it's quite interesting, but again, low number of patients uh, and we mm -hmm. need to see more data but I think for me that was also quite promising yeah yeah and a good number of patients uh, to, to to have the possibility to decide to study and, and decide what could be better for them yeah I think maybe a takeaway it wasn't mentioned at the conference is but I think biomarker testing really should be done by, by all patients and, and there are quite some data, for example, from the US that uh, only two-thirds of patients get, get biomarker testing, but also for physicians and daily clinical practice, look back at your patients. So if you have a patient treated with immunotherapy two years ago um, and maybe yeah, at that time you didn't have anything for KRAS G12C, so you didn't write it down, you didn't note it. Look back for all your patients, check whether all biomarkers were evaluated and whether the patient had a KRAS G12C yeah. mutation. Yeah. And it is important that KRAS is now have to have, has to be the standard in um, biomarker mm -hmm. testing as well as AGFR, ARC, BRAF. It's not so... Um, uh, simple. We have to have all the testing biomarkers for all the patients yeah. at the right moment. Yeah. And if you didn't do it before because yeah. it was not relevant, go back to your tissue and, and test. Or yeah. liquid biopsy also possible, but, but really you need to test. Yeah. Um, I think also for the future, it was a little bit addressed in, in that session, is that uh, patients with KRAS mutations quite often have brain metastasis. Uh, at Dagrasib, we have some data from ESCO last uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, response rates in the brain were around 30%. Uh, yeah. So said we don't have data yet. Um, but as these patients quite often have brain metastasis, we need to have CNS penetrating 
uh, drugs uh, with also a long duration uh, of disease control in the brain. Yes, for now for Dagrasib, we have uh, six patients mm -hmm. with a like, great control rate, 10%, mm -hmm. uh, 100% of mm -hmm. all patients mm -hmm. control rate on, on brain and waiting results for uh, yes. because but, but we, uh, we have to improve also this kind of uh, uh, evaluation because we need for radiotherapy also yes. in mm -hmm. these patients and immunotherapy, so mm -hmm. we are here yeah. also. True. So still lots of things to yeah. evaluate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think another topic, uh, it was not in, in an abstract session, but in a plenary session. And I think it's, it's, it's hot, it's oligometastatic <laughs> disease. And the more you talk about it, the more difficult it becomes. <laughs> you stay in the same place. Yeah. And I think oligometastasis, yeah, it's a few metastases, uh, but I think there are multiple definitions if you look at clinical trials. Um, some trials uh, count the primary, some trials count the mediastinal lymph nodes, some trials allow patients with up to three metastatic sites, others say it's six metastatic sites. And if you look at daily clinical practice, most patients enrolled in a clinical trial only have one or two metastases and usually don't have bulky mediastinal disease. Uh, and I think quite some, some interesting concepts were discussed at the plenary. So indeed, should we count metastases? Should we look at the volume? Should we look at, at the type of oligometastasis? Is it synchronous? Is it induced? Is it metachronous? Does the type of location of the metastasis matter? Um, if you have a patient with widespread metastasis and the patient responds very well to, to treatment, yeah, maybe that patient will do better with an induced oligometastatic state than a patient with upfront. Oligometastasis. So, what were your takeaways from that yeah. session? Yeah. I think this is a, a very challenging. It, it has, has been a very challenging session because uh, it, it's too simple to number metastasis. Mm -hmm. uh, what if uh, we think to four metastasis than three? Mm -hmm. What's the difference? Mm -hmm. uh, we have to think to the volume, but we have to think to the kind of progression of those patients. Mm -hmm. We have to think if they are um, uh, um, oncogene-addicted patients. Mm -hmm. we, we, we have to think to a lot of things in the era of immunotherapy also for oncogene-addicted patients, mm -hmm. for uh, different biomarkers such as Kairas, mm -hmm. such as BRAF. Um, these patients, uh, these, these diseases are completely different. Mm -hmm. And we need to discuss for every patient the right approach. And don't forget that um, we have to think to the all disease and not just a, just a number. True. And, and even I think for immunotherapy, we know that, that some patients have very long-term disease control without any local radical therapy. So these patients, you would probably harm with adding radiotherapy or surgery with, with a risk of yeah, morbidity or even mortality, uh, long-term toxicity, and, and we don't know yet. So I, I think it's a complete new yeah, yeah, area of, of clinical trials. Um, and I think one of the first steps is indeed applying all the definitions, uh, but also to be flexible and with new yeah, research, new data, adapt what you're doing. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think this is one of the uh, low uh, times that we have not to start necessarily from the definition, mm -hmm. but from the patient, this kind of, mm -hmm. of, of disease. Yeah. And that you have, I think, that you evaluate one concept in the clinical trial and that you don't 
yeah, put all the patients yeah. with different types of oligometastatic induced whatever disease into one trial, but that you really define the patient mm -hmm. population you want to evaluate and also focus on, on long-term yeah. endpoints and toxicity. And then a preplanned manner mm -hmm. in this kind of study is, mm -hmm. is fundamental. Yeah, true. Yeah. And imaging, I think that, that wasn't discussed a lot, it was only in, in the consensus definition. Uh, but if you look at the clinical trials that have been performed, I think if you look at oligometastatic disease, you should do brain MRI, you should do a dedicated PET, uh, you should ev evaluate uh, the mediastinum if necessary, yeah. Yeah, if it um, uh, influences your treatment, have pathological proof of metastasis because you know a PET scan can be false positive. Um, yeah, so, and yeah. confirmed uh, invasive uh, diagnosis mm -hmm. on mediastinum 2 yeah. in this mm -hmm. kind of patients. Yeah. Is fundamental. Yeah. yeah, so I think so far WCLC is, is very interesting. Um, it, it ranges from early disease like neoadjuvant therapy, uh, NADIM biomarkers to molecular analysis, new targets for which we thought they were undruggable for long and now we have multiple new options being evaluated. And also the concept of oligometastatic disease, we approached it very easily, one definition and I think that's not true and it will become as complicated as the treatment of oncogenic drivers or immunotherapy resistance. But I think it's, it's, it's promising and very interesting. So, Thank you. I think mm -hmm. just another thing, the multidisciplinary approach is mm -hmm. now yeah. more than ever fundamental. Yeah. We have to go further on that. Yeah. Fully agree and very good closing. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then you can subscribe for more on your favourite podcast app, including Apple, Spotify and Podbean. And why not check out the other lung cancer sessions over on vjoncology.com? Follow us on Twitter at vjoncology for the latest updates in oncology research and clinical practice, and find exclusive interviews with leading oncologists over on vjoncology.com.